Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of A Bite of D&D, where we add flavor to your games and campaigns. This is Micah, and sitting across the state from me is my co-host, Zach. How you doing, guys? And this week, we are going to be discussing everyone's favorite edgelord, the Warlock, and maybe one patron in particular, how you can lighten the mood a little bit and play something besides the the brooding, dark, magic, mysterious murder man. That's right. So, Zach, which patron are we wanting to talk about? The best one. We're going to be talking about the Archfey. Those are some mighty confident words you just said. No, everyone agrees with me. Well, it's because you can make them agree with you. That's right. Now we're getting right into what makes Archfey so great. I'll tell you how I see this patron, and then you tell me how I'm wrong. I think that's the way we typically try to do things. Sure. Um, Archfey warlocks are the most fun, most, in my mind, the best roleplay experience class-wise that you can get outside of a bard. I would agree. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, everyone agrees with me. So I'm right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so let's talk about let's talk about why Archfey is so cool. I will tell you in my mind it's because they got the abilities right here. Like the abilities that the that this patron gives are fascinating. They're both utility and they are role play heavy. They work on both fronts and they're not a power build. They lean more towards things that are unique. I I just in my mind, every single one of them is a home run. I don't. I'm not upset. I'm not disappointed with any of them, and I think that they all fit well within the build for this character. I like their spell list, their expanded spell list, the ability to get some really interesting spells at a good variety. You're getting everything from fairy fire to plant growth to dominate beast to greater invisibility. It's just this wide net that you're casting. Now, I will say, unfortunately, just due to warlocks being warlocks, I agree that I think their spell list is pretty excellent flavor-wise. However, there's definitely a difference in mileage you'll get out of these considering warlocks have so few spell slots, and there's definitely some that I just don't see getting a ton of good use out of. That's fair. Which is That's unfortunate. Fair. But I, I do think the selection is, is solid. I think all of them have good uses, and it, it definitely fits the theme of, of an Archfey. Do you want to talk about, before we get into a lot of the abilities of this class, do you want to get into the patrons and what those patrons can look like for an Archfey? So the patrons are going to be a lord or lady of the Fey. I mean, you've got several different options there. They've got them listed in the book that you can look at, and I'm not as confident or comfortable talking about the Fae as some of the other races. But you have Titiana of the Summer Court, her consort Oberon, the Green Lord, or who are two of the probably most common. Here's some of the Prince of Fools, which honestly is probably going to be one of my favorites if you were to play the Archfey as more of a trickster, which I think they, they fall into pretty well, especially considering the spell list and the abilities they get. And and they've got some other lords and ladies, but they also list ancient hags as an option. If mm-hmm. the whimsical nature of Archfey has damaged the warlock brand too much for you, you can always go with something gross and, and horrifying to supply your, your whimsy. I would say two things 
uh, tied to patrons, I would say the first thing is keep in mind that a lot of the Fae, I'll say it at least that way, they may be Fae and in that sense chaotic, but they also almost always have a purpose and motivations and things that they want, that they desire to get done. So not always is your patron or very seldom is your patron going to just be like, oh, just go so chaos and that's it. Here some the Seder Prince, for instance, his whole person, a big part of him is to topple uh, Formian strongholds and things like that. So when you're working with your DM or as a DM, if you're working with your player to construct this patron's interactions uh, and they're messing with an Archfey, I would say make sure that you plot out some motivations for him. There's a reason that he's picked this warlock, that he crafted this warlock. And a lot of times it's because he has something that he actually wants to accomplish. I I think as a a Fae patron, it'd be fun if you occasionally get the thing where they want you to go burn down the favorite flower patch in the woods of a a rival or something kind of goofy like that. But I, I, I agree with Zach. Any, for any longevity of the character, you want a tangible goal that you're trying to reach uh the other thing i would point out is that if you read through those and you're like eh, they just seem none of them seem exciting or you're not quite sold on any of them if you have or you can get your hands on a copy of tome of beasts there is a whole section on fey lords and ladies and there's some really cool ones they have a lot of they obviously have stat blocks. They have different flavor. There's a queen of witches, which I think would be a really cool patron for a warlock. There's a lord of the hunt. There's a snow queen. There's a bear king. There's the river king, which I think would be a fascinating uh, – river king would be a fascinating patron for a fae, I think. So I guess what I'm saying is like – and you can go online and find more. You should feel like you have a lot of freedom, at least in part, with your GM to find something that really suits – a wide variety of fey warlocks and i love that tome of beast gives you all this inspiration right there so it's it's a really nice thing to have on hand if you're looking at crafting a warlock so let's go from there let's take a look at some of their abilities and how those tie in with the gifts that you receive from your patron because uh, again i think all of these are, are pretty much home runs as far as flavor. And I, honestly, most of them are relatively useful, too. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything in here that I'm like, eh, that's not that's not a great ability. There's only four of them, so it's not like we're diving into a deep list. So let's just run right down the list real quick and talk about Fae Presence. Surprisingly, at first level, it's a nice little ability. I think this is one of the stronger first level abilities that different classes and things get if you take it when you're actually first level if you take this once you're level 15 it doesn't really hold as much weight that's that's very true i love to uh you know the the ability that it's a 10 foot cube is nice but keep in mind that you would be in that 10 foot cube so really you're going to affect three creatures at most right but what I would point out that I really like about it is that you get to pick if they fail, whether they are charmed or frightened, which I think, again, it's that nice flavor of letting you craft what your type of patron, how they would affect the world around them. So some some of your patrons, like an ancient hag, would probably have that frightened condition. But maybe the Snow Queen or somebody like that would have 
the charmed condition and i like that they give you those options when i think it could vary depending on what it is you're fighting because the different patrons will have different things that they hate more than others so you have the snow queen who for most people would probably charm them into service and want to work with them but once you know you get into the heat of battle with an enemy that bitter cold the full force of winter hits them all at once and they're just terrified in the presence of those howling winds and things like that that your your presence makes them feel. And I think like on the side of the hags, I think you're exactly right because hags are going to have a frightening presence probably to most regular enemies and, and people. But then let's say you're, sur- you're in the midst of a fight with troglodytes or something like that. It could be that you are seen as super appealing that in some ways charms those nasty creatures of the bog, creatures of the swamp could actually have an appeal to this hag warlock. Straight up. Yeah, I like that. So going on down, the other one is a nice kind of get out of jail free card. Maybe you dove in a little bit too greedily chasing Han Solo style, the stormtrooper around the corner to be faced with all of his buddies. And as soon as one of those even scratches you, you can poof, turn invisible, teleport away, and you don't have to rely on screaming back down the hallway that you came from. Yeah, I like this one a lot. The thing that I like is that I think something that should be overarching over all the patrons is that they frustrate and confound those around them. And I think that this does that. It it brings to light that, like, the enemy thinks he has you, and then you're gone. And, of course, that is that frustration and confusion and all of that. I think a good DM will play that up, and it allows your character just in the ability to be what it is meant to be. Well, and I think clever players could even use your warlock as bait to spring a trap. And I think that's just very Fae-like to them thinking they have you cornered to you kind of grinning and vanishing out of sight as a boulder small avalanche comes raining down the cliff burying them alive um you could definitely lure some enemies into grouping up for a fireball or something else and then dip out of there and it's something that you get at sixth level and it's going to be handy at 20th level like it's just a nice ability that's going to go with you for for the long haul let's talk about beguiling influences this ability isn't a slouch either like you learn how to basically shield your mind and you become immune to being charmed uh and not only that but if something is attempting to charm you you can use your reaction to basically push that back on them so if we're gonna keep with the star wars references here You've got Kylo trying to, like, mind-probe Rey in The Force Awakens and how she kind of overpowers him and projects his fears back onto him and and he leaves in a huff. That's basically what you're doing to things. There's higher-level spells that do kind of similar things, but I don't see this ability being something that comes up very often at all, the ability to redirect a spell back at the caster in this way. It's limited to things that are trying to charm you, but a lot of things try to charm. Yeah, charm is pretty common. And the thing is, this is not a once-per-rest sort of ability. It doesn't have a certain amount of uses you get out of it. So this is something that you always have at your disposal, which is pretty indispensable as far as I'm concerned. A lot of classes get a ribbon ability somewhere in this area, and honestly, this is one of the more useful kind of passive things that a class receives. 
and it can also the other cool thing is that it can turn a low level thing into a very powerful ability. Let's say you're cast, and I don't have a spell in front of me, but you're cast. Somebody casts something on you that, if it works, would charm you for one round. Well, when you reflect it, if they fail, they are charmed for a minute or until they get attacked. So you can actually beef it as an auto boost to a very powerful ability, even if they're casting something that's a lower tier spell. So very, very handy in my mind. And that could be a good surprise on that end. So the last one here, I think, is honestly maybe the most underwhelming of the lot by the the time you get it at that level, but still quite potent and it gives you the ability to remove a pretty decent threat from the battlefield for a while yeah dark delirium 14th level basically they have to save or they're charmed or frightened again but they also get this illusion that surrounds them and dark fog or whatever i would say yeah because it says it's a misty realm that you choose so i think again that's so great because it's it's putting the flavor in the hands of the player Tell me what this guy sees that makes him charmed or that makes him frightened or putting it in the hands of the DM to know what would frighten or charm that creature and getting to tell an interesting mini story there. Just a really nice villain. Now, it's on only once per short or long rest, so you're not going to be doing this all the time. It's still I, a kind of a, a one of those save or suck spells where you could remove one relatively powerful creature out from an encounter or use it to sneak by a guard or in maybe a situation where uh you're on a rescue mission and you need to uh get someone out to prevent them from being caught by surprise being uh, yelling and giving away your position maybe you use it on them let them imagine themselves in like this nice field of flowers or a, a calm relaxing spot and you can guide them through without them panicking or seeing the horrors of uh what's been going on around you oh i really like that yeah yeah i would say the other interesting thing about it is that um it lasts for a minute or until you break concentration or until the creature takes damage what you notice there is that there's no save once they fail their first one it is up to you or your failings to break this thing which i think is really handy like you said save or suck but if they fail you have equivalently removed them from the fight as long as you stay fit and trim yourself. Now, the reason I say this is kind of weak because you get it at 14th level and it is concentration-based. So if you're using it in the middle of combat, at 14th level, most things will have access to spells that will do something similar or maybe in a wider area. Now, this is essentially free for you, so it's still pretty good. You get it back on a short rest because you're a warlock, so of course you do. I mean, it's still a very good ability, but the fact that you get it so late and there's so many other things that can replicate it, and then just the fact that it's concentration means there are quite a few things that can mess with it and it does allow you from casting other concentration spells so just one thing keep in mind but i think i like it more from the role play aspect again i like the idea of escorting someone out or just trying to keep them quiet as you sneak by more so than a combat situation anyway and for that it is quite powerful yeah love it i like i said this is definitely uncontestedly the best 
patron in in the game. And let's see, I I would say there's not really I don't really want to dive into a ton of Eldritch in, invocations because there's a ton, and obviously you can flavor ninety percent of them to make them seem like they're reasonable for whatever patron that you picked. But I did want to point out uh, one that I really like that I think fits really well. And that's the Mask of Many Faces, I think, is a perfect one for this. Fits right in, and, and I think you can have a lot of fun with that. Yep. There's a lot, not diving into what they do, but Beast Speech, Beguiling Influence, uh, Bewitching Whispers. There's a lot in here that I think fit the theme of it, if you're trying to tie everything together. What I actually want to hit on real quick is the three archetypes at level three. Because oh, we were yeah. discussing the Book of Shadows, and maybe some other things on how, whether you take Pact of the Blade, maybe how that weapon manifests differently, the the Book of Shadows, and maybe how it would be different than another Warlock's. So I do kind of want to hit on those, because I think you had a, a couple good ones. Okay, yeah. Well, to me, this is an opportunity. I think you said an edgelord at the beginning of this, and this is, the Fae, the Arch Fae don't have to be that, and I know we, we've kind of addressed that, definitely. But then you go to I I wouldn't want a player in my campaign or myself to be tied to, okay, Pact of the Tome, you're reading it, you're playing this fun uh, Archfey character that's a trickster, but that has a purpose. And then you look at Pact of the Tome and you're like, oh, I kind of like what it does. But then you read, your patron gives you a grimoire called A Book of Shadows. And all of a sudden, now you're back to that, like, dark, foreboding thing. I would rewind that and I would say... My Book of Shadows isn't going to be a Book of Shadows. It's going to be like a choir book or a hymnal, or it's going to be a book of poetry, or it's going to be something that has magical properties tying it to the patron, magical poems that are prayers or whatever. I would make it fit the patron and not worry about the dark tones that all of these packs seem to have, at least in part. Yep. I I like, I had the idea of maybe having a booklet of bound dried leaves that have engravings and stuff in them but then he mentioned the hymnal or the the poetry i'm like uh, even better they can they can sing or recite their spells and i like that i was thinking for like pact of the blade because there was a, a weapon i had introduced i use a magic item generator for some low level magic affixes that don't really do a whole lot just for some flavor things um i can link to that um in the podcast. But I use that for just some fun random items uh, that my group finds from time to time. And one of them that got made was a weapon that had a ruby growing out of it that smelled like roses. And so I gave them this very ornate flail that had the chain and the handle kind of done in this dark green burnished metal that led to the, the budding ruby rose at the top and so this flail, this weapon, became kind of like a thorned flower that could be used to strike things. Maybe a rapier that is a twisted branch, a whip of thorns, a thorn whip, if you will, but it's not a Oof. cantrip, it's a weapon. <laughs> like, I, I feel like there's a lot of things you can do to twist and flavor those weapons as well that makes them feel a little bit more interesting and appropriate. Yeah, and I think as far as Pact of the Chain goes, they've already got a couple of decent options. I think Quasits we found to be really fun and definitely don't have to be the most sinister of things. All of these things are really small, which I think allows them to have that ridiculous air that I would enjoy having from a Fae familiar. The Pseudo-Dragon 
it would be a lot of fun too. But but any of these, I think you could you could make work in a ridiculous or just humorous or or chaotic feel for your companion. So I, I don't really see the need to dip too far out of those options for this flavor. You can just pick the one that fits your patron the most. Or, you know, make up your own weird, weird creature from the Fey Wilds. Use one of these as a basis, and I think you could come up with something that's kind of fun. All right, I think that's it for me. Zach may be wrong about this being the best patron. I'm sure you will let him know just as much as I will. But they are pretty cool nonetheless and definitely worth checking out. I think that's going to wrap it up for us, guys. So I guess we should mention that this will either be coming out right. It should be coming out right before Gen Con. Is that correct? Yes. So we're going to be at Gen Con. We will be running like 32 hours of games a piece, I think. Yeah, we're we're doing a lot of games. Yeah, so I guess we might see you there if you see us in our Bite of D&D hats or handing out any promotional items and you listen to the podcast, be sure to say hi and maybe we'll hook you up with something extra sweet and saucy. I don't know about saucy, but we'll hook you up with something. Yeah, anyhow, we'll talk to you guys later. See ya.